who would not go to the exact same lengths as this man did for his daughter. There's no father that I call friend who would not at a moment's notice willingly suffer and die for his family. But to the extent that we as men are willing to suffer and die for our families, I believe that God has principles out there in his word that call for us to live for our families. And if you are willing to die, I want to encourage you today to be willing to live. Dying is an honorable thing. And it's okay if you're placed in that position, but more than not, you and I will never be able to face that sort of reality. That's probably not going to be most of our stories. But what is our story is that we go into our homes every single day, and we have our children who are in front of us, and they need to know that you care for them. I'm talking about fathers right now. Because too many of us have situations in our homes where our children love to see us going and hate to see us coming. But I believe God has principles lined up in his word that our children would hate to see us leaving from our houses and love to see us coming to our houses. And if you will allow me for the next few moments to break down some barriers and break down some things that I believe that every father needs to hear in order to be equipped the way that God wants you to be equipped for your home. Will you allow me to do that this morning? I'm going to speak to our fathers, but of course, I'm grateful that the women and the mothers are here because I believe it is vitally important that you hear these words as well because you can help hold our brothers, our fathers, accountable for our actions. Our pastor has been dealing with us very diligently with the issue of fear. And I believe that from week to week to week to week, there should be some sort of continuity between messages. And so I was dealing with that and grappling with, you know, Lord, what should we discuss? And I'm telling y'all, a few weeks ago, it didn't even dawn on me that today was Father's Day. And so I was dealing with or wrestling with another passage of Scripture, and I just, it just wasn't settling completely. God was opening some things into my mind or whatever, but it dawned on me while I was at work that today is Father's Day. And so there were some principles, I believe, that God wants us to know and to learn and to understand to be better fathers. And so today, if you'll allow me, I have a few things that I'd like to share with you. Now, some of these things, these first three things are going to be, um, you know, just, just a, a review, if you will, of, of what I believe we at EBC already know because of the things that we have been taught and you're being taught. My family and I have only been here for a year, but in this year, we have noticed, you know, that, that the dads are really involved and the fathers are involved. And there are some things and some principles that I believe that God wants us to know. And so today, I want to talk about the fearless fatherhood. Fearless fatherhood. And as a subtitle, the responsible man of God. Fearless fatherhood. 
The first three things that I believe that God wants every father to know, and these are foundational things. I'm going to state them, and then we're going to go through them. The first three things, and you might want to write this down, is that every responsible, fearless father must do the following three things. Every father must protect, he must provide, and he must proclaim. If you're going to be a fearless father, you must protect, you must provide, and you must proclaim. And so the first one is every fearless father protects his home. This is a review. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look real quickly at verses 13 and 15. And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm going to give you a preface to it, a background to it. This is the point uh, where the, the magi or the wise men, as we like to refer to them, were on their way to Jerusalem because they had seen the star of Jesus. And they knew that the baby, the Messiah, had come, and so they wanted to come into the territory in Israel to worship him. And so the wise men, and the Bible never says that there were three wise men. We only assume there were three because there were three gifts. There was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the Bible never says there were three wise men. In fact, there were probably several more than that. But they were referred to as or called the Magi. And so the Magi went, and they visited with King Herod, who was the ruling king in Jerusalem at that time. And so they, they had a, a conference with King Herod, and they said, we came to worship the, the king of Israel. Now, they're talking to King Herod, saying that they want to come worship the king. And then King Herod realized that he wasn't the king that they came to worship. And he became very jealous. And so he devised a plan. He says, listen, I want to I worship this king too. And he says, so go, Magi, go find out where this, this king is and come back and report to me so that I can go and worship with him as well. But the Bible stopped them from going. And here's what it says, Matthew chapter 2, I'm in the NIV Verses 13 and 15, it reads this way. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. So he got up. Do you notice the instant obedience? The man, the protector of the home, got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. So Joseph obeyed the command of the angel. And it was funny to me that the angel even appeared to Joseph in the first place because, you know, earlier the, the angel appeared to Mary. And the angel said to Mary, hey, you know, you, you are highly favored and beloved of God, and you are going to bear the one who is called Messiah. You're going to bear the chosen one. But it's amazing to me that even though the angel came to her with that news, the angel did not go to Mary when it came down to protecting the family. The angel came to the protector, the provider of the home, whose name was Joseph. And so Joseph had a charge and a command from the angel to get moving, to get up and out of here so that you can protect your family. And any responsible, fearless man of God will do the very same thing that Joseph did. He will protect his family. 
we have to be protectors. It's not just protecting on a physical realm, but sometimes we got to protect our children on the spiritual realm. Sometimes we can notice our children going through things and making certain decisions, and you say, uh-uh, not in my house. And you as a man have to be willing to stand up and say, listen, this is what we're going to do in this particular case. And you, because you are charged with protecting your family. But then secondly, this is a review, so I'm not going to go through all these things extensively. If I was preaching anywhere else, this would be my start and stopping point. But I believe that you all have been adequately equipped with these things, so I'm just going to just go through them. But the second thing is that a responsible, fearless father provides for his home. Say that with me, fathers. A responsible, fearless father provides for his home. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. Look at that scripture. If anyone, anyone, does not provide for his relatives, and listen, and especially for his immediate family. That's your wife, that's your children, okay? And for me, I got a lot of them. So it doesn't matter how many you have, one, two, three, four, or five, or ten, you, sir, are responsible for providing for your immediate family. And he says, he goes so far to say, Paul says, uh, uh, anyone who is unwilling to do this has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's very strong language. If you and I as men are unwilling to be the providers and sustainers for our home, the Bible says that's the same thing as being an unbeliever. Those are the actions of somebody who has denied the faith because the faith tells us that we need to be providers for our homes. The responsible man of God protects his family. The responsible man of God provides for his family. But then lastly, the responsible man of God proclaims God's authority in his home. This is one of my very, very, very favorite passages of Scripture. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Let's read it before we talk about it. It says, this is Joshua speaking. And, and, and he says, he, he's in the midst. I want you all to think about this. He, he's in the midst of all of the other tribes of Israel. And Joshua is getting ready to state a claim as it relates to himself and his family. And here's what he says. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But listen to this. He says, but as for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. What a state to claim. He says, regardless of what anybody else is doing, he says, make no mistake about it. You can serve all these other gods if you want to. You can go and, and, and serve these gods of gold and metal and silver if you want to. But he says, you won't catch me there, and nor will you catch any of my family members there. 
Because Joshua says, as it pertains to me. Now, I can only speak for me. But as it pertains for me, he says, as for me and my house, we are going to do but one thing, and that's serve the Lord. And God is looking for the kind of brother who will stand and make that very same claim in his own home. Baby, put that down. Now, we ain't doing that. Son, put that down. No, no, no. Listen, as for us, here's what we are going to do. We are going to serve the Lord. A responsible man of God is a protector of his home. A responsible man of God is a provider of his home, but then a responsible man of God is the proclaimer in his home. Now, again, these are just foundational things, and these are good foundational things. And brothers, if you equip yourselves, if you follow those three principles, here's what will happen. You'll earn the respect in your home. But I want to know, How many of us as brothers in here are ready to move beyond the foundational things and become a transformational figure in your home? Because when you move from the foundational to the transformational, you will move from respect to love and then from love to adoration. And I don't know any man in this house today who does not want or wish or desire to be adored by his wife and his children. And so I've got some things that I want to share with you that I believe will help and equip you to become the transformational figure that you are supposed to be in your home. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to look at verse 19. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. I searched all throughout um, um, the first several chapters of of, of the book of Genesis to to look for something. And and as I was looking, I I was looking for a charge that God had given anyone, somebody, the man or the woman of the house, to be the one who gives certain directions for the house. And so I went from Genesis chapter 1, and I skimmed through, and I looked through, and read through, and, and, and I got all the way down to Genesis chapter 18, and I found something extremely interesting. And I want you to read this with me. This is the part where, where God is getting ready. He's already made up his mind that he's going to destroy the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to run these things now by Abraham. And he's contemplating within himself. We get a chance to see what God is thinking about. God is getting ready to do some things. And he says, you know what, I wonder, should I share these things with Abraham, what I'm getting ready to do? And so here's what it reads. Abraham will surely, this is verse 18, verse 18, Genesis 18 and 18 through 19. Verse 18 reads, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Verse 19, here it is, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him in the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Don't miss that. If you read over that too quickly, you'll miss it. Listen what it says again. For I have chosen him, verse 19, so that he will direct his children and his household. Now, this is the first place where I see a charge 
from God to a family member, to a head of a home, to be the director and the teacher of his home. And guess what? He gives that charge to men. And since that's the first place where we read that, some could argue that this falls under the law of first mention. And if you know about the law of first mention, what that means is wherever it is in the Bible, where it first states a thing, it sets a precedent for all future related things. And so since God gave Abraham the charge to give the direction and to give the teaching for his household, then we can reasonably assume, brothers, that we as men are supposed to be the ones who are giving and leading and providing the direction for our homes. And we are the ones supposed to be teaching our children the ways and the things of God. That is not your wife's job. Unfortunately, in so many different areas and arenas within education, whether it's education in your own home or the educational system, period, you know who's missing in the educational picture? Men. We've got a former administrator in the house, Sister Doris. Can you validate that? Are the men missing in the homes? We have a current one, Brother Grant. You are the principal at Green Oaks High School. Are the men missing in the high schools? We have a deficiency of men leading. And God is calling us as men to get busy in our own homes, directing and teaching. And guess what? If you get good at it in your own home, then you will probably go on and say, you know what? I am pretty good at this. Let me go and apply for that teacher's job. But because there, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to be, you know, passive about that. We want to let the wife do that. We want to, you know, just come home and do our thing. We neglect our responsibility of being the directors in our homes. Something is wrong with that. And so the very first thing that I want you to know, and I want you to write this down, is that a fearless, responsible father teaches his children. A fearless, responsible father teaches his children. Say that with me, brothers. A fearless, responsible father teaches his children. I can't hear you. One more time. A fearless, responsible father Don't forget it. Now, you may say, well, you've already said, you know, uh, to be the proclaimer of your home. So isn't that the same thing? Well, it, it, it can be, but oftentimes it's not. You, you see, my dad taught me something years ago, and, and, and my dad said something that, that was really good. He, he said, listen, he says, preaching is proclaiming, but teaching is explaining. And so you may be proclaiming certain things over your home, and other people may hear those things, but what are your children hearing in your home? And so we've got to be the ones to be explaining the things that God wants us to know from his word to our children. Boy, the brothers ain't real quiet today. But that's okay. I know how to swim. It's okay. I I want y'all to get this. We as brothers... The men of the homes, the fathers, the protectors, the providers, the proclaimers, 
We have to be the ones who are explaining and teaching our children the ways of our God. And so the question naturally asks or warrants itself, so what should I be teaching? And so I, I don't want you to, 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 to get any thought that I, I'm, I'm some sort of profound speaker or minister. I, that's not me. I'm not one to try to dig deep and try to help you, you know, dig deep, deep, deep and be deep and, you know. I mean, you know, Jesus did not try to be deep. He tried to be helpful. And so, you know, it's, it's a sad occasion when so many preachers get up here and they and they preach all over your head. Trying to be deep, preaching to other preachers. But it's important that we teach our people what the word of God is saying. That's why I love this church. That's why I love our pastor. I'm so glad that our pastor, even outside, it says pastor teacher. And that's exactly what he is because he breaks down the word of God so that we can bite it and chew it up. The principles that you need to teach your children are actually found in the Old Testament. They are found in the book of Deuteronomy. You don't even have to turn there, but in your own reading, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I promise you, you won't miss it. And I know you may say, well, you know, well, Brother Craig, that's the Old Testament, and we're not under the law anymore. Yeah, I understand. I understand. You, you know, but here's the deal. You don't have to worry about all those 615 commandments of the Torah, but there's a strong 10 you need to take a hard look at. There's 10 that we need to really, really dive into so that we can see what those 10 are still saying. Because I promise you, those 10 are still relevant in our homes and hearts today. And so what I want to do is I want to take a fresh look at the 10 and see how those things can apply to us even today. And so I've listed some of those things for you. I've listed nine and we're going to deal with the 10th one later. Um, the, the, the first one is, he says, the principles to teach your children, I am the Lord, your God, have no other gods before me. Do you know how powerful that is? Do you know how relevant that is today? Now, true enough, we, we're not molding images from gold and, and, and having statues and little baby Buddhas and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're doing. But, you know, we got a, we got a new high-tech God. And, and, and this, this God is real demanding B because this, this God ha has a way of keeping you informed with everybody so you can know what everybody is or everybody's doing and what everybody's talking about. This God can tell you what's going on in the world today. This God has different apps and stuff to keep you busy playing. This God has all kinds of social media things that's going on it. And what you'll do is you'll find yourself playing with this God almost 24 hours a day. And if you're not careful, you'll find your God laying next to you on your pillow. And you'll wake up and the first thing you do is look at your God and talk to your God. We have gods that are in our homes that we don't want to call gods. It doesn't have to be a God. You can use these devices to the glory of God. But too many of us are using these things in a way that is unpleasing to the Lord. And we need to do one thing, and that's hit the power button sometimes and put it away. 
Why? Because the Bible says, the Lord says, have no other gods before me. Some of us have relationship gods. Well, we spend more time with people or a person, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or somebody who you really like. And you wake up in the morning calling him or her. Hey, how you doing? I was thinking about you this morning. I wish I was next to you. I wish I could see you. You know what? God wants you to wake up in the morning and say, hey, how you doing this morning? I miss you. I couldn't wait to get up to get next to you. I couldn't wait to hear your voice. He's waiting for us to do that because we have placed too many other gods. And some of us got TV gods. Some of us have gods in our parked in our garages. Some of us pull up to our gods. Too many things take precedent in our life. And anything that takes precedent over your life is a God. And the Lord says, have no other God before me. But then secondly, he says, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Did you know that you're not supposed to preface God's name in a curse word? You know, we, we say so many other things. We may say something, God something, and then have a curse word following right behind it. Or we may use God, you know, unjustly in, in, in a sentence, unnecessarily in a sentence. And I want you to understand that God's name is to be revered. You are to have certain intentionality when you are talking about God and talking to him. And so don't practice using God's name in vain. Call on him when you are intentional about doing it. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Here's another one. Observe the day set aside for worship. Now, in the Bible, in, in Deuteronomy 5, it talks about remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, we know that in now in, in Christian, as we are Christians, we've accepted Jesus in our, in our heart. We know that as Christians, we don't celebrate on a Saturday, which was the Sabbath. We celebrate on a Sunday. And the reason why we celebrate on Sunday is because Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. And so we now naturally, as Christians, celebrate the day that our Lord and Savior rose on. So I put up there, observe the day set aside for worship. Don't be too busy for God. You don't have anything that's more important than being in this place right now. Nothing. Nothing. There's no job that's more important than this. And I understand that we have to work and some have schedules that, that you have no control over. That's fine. But every opportunity that you can get, you should be in the house of worship, worshiping him on the day set aside for worship. And when you get home, I want y'all to do something. My mama would say this and shout this. She'd tell my wife all the time, now just rest, baby. This is a day that's set aside for rest and relaxation. You're busy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and you need some me time and some downtime because you have to get geared up for the next day. And so if you don't want to be stressed out Monday through Saturday, you better spend some time winding down on Sunday. Find some time just to get away for yourself and for your family and just relax. Everybody say relax. relax. We need to learn to relax. Don't worry about cooking. Amen. Well, let me not say that too loud. <laughs> let me not say, hold on, I think I just messed up. Uh, cook on Saturday. 
so, so, so that you can be ready for Sunday. And, and when your money is all right, take your wife out on Sunday. All right? That's okay. All right? Observe the day set aside for worship. But then the next one says, don't murder. Do you know that's still relevant today in 2017, 2018? Do you know that in 2016, this is, a, this is an actual figure, 17,250 murders occurred in the United States in 2016. 17,250 people were murdered in 2016. And guess what? In the state of Louisiana alone, there were 543 people who lost their lives at the hands of somebody else. Murder. You need to teach your children, don't ever get so mad that you got to put your hands or put a weapon against somebody unless your life depends on it. We are killing each other over frivolous, nonsensical things. It's crazy what we'll kill each other over. Food. Kill each other over food. You talking to my girlfriend? You looking at my woman? And then get into an altercation and somebody dies. Too many murders. God says, do not murder. The next one that you need to teach your children, this is a real important one. Do not commit adultery. This is extremely important because we're living in a hypersensitive and sexual uh, uh, day and age now where adultery and fornication and, and, and homosexuality and all sorts of things are just absolutely rampant. But the Bible gives us clear instructions. He says, don't commit adultery. And then Jesus takes it a little step further because I believe in Matthew chapter 5 when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm going to take it a little step further, he says. Any man who even lusts over a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Job says, Job gave, gave a perfect, perfect answer for this. He says, I have made a commitment to myself that I will not look upon another maid. Do you know how, how it is? I'm going to give you guys a practical. I've got an absolute practical way to keep you from cheating on your wife. Absolutely. If you, I'm telling you, you can take this one to the bank. Here it is. If you don't ever want to cheat on your wife, there's only one thing you need to do. Women, too. If you ever want to cheat on your husband, there's only one thing you need to do. Don't take the second look. That'll hit some of y'all when you get home. The second look is the one that gets you. I, you can't help the first one. You, you're going to notice somebody who, who's nice looking. You, you're going to see a beautiful woman. You're going to see a handsome man. You're going, that's going to happen. But I promise you, when, when, when you see that person, just let your eyes keep bouncing on them. Let them bounce away because it's the second look that gets you in the trap. It's that glance when you notice her and then she notices you. And then you start smiling. And then, you know, you bite your teeth a little bit, your lip, you know, and you're licking your, 
You're licking your rusty lips. It, it, it's those, those, those kinds of actions are the ones that get you in trouble. If you don't want to have sexual sins in your life, don't take the second look. Say that, brothers. Don't take the second look. It'll save you every time. Then he says, I'm going to move on quickly. He says, principles to teach your children, don't steal. My mom used to say, if you'll steal, you'll kill. And if you'll kill, man, I think I mixed that up a little bit. If you, you know, if you lie, you'll steal. And if you'll steal, you'll kill. That's it. If you lie, you will steal. And if you steal, you will kill. Don't steal. If it doesn't belong to you, leave it where it is. Then it says, don't lie on your neighbors. Don't just pick certain things up and just, you know, be, be jealous about them or, or just have something that they want. And you just start lying on them. You know, you know, it's totally unnecessary to lie. I mean, really, it's totally unnecessary to lie. Just be truthful. Even if the truth hurts, just tell the truth. Because the Bible says if you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. People can deal with you when you tell them. Let me tell you all something. When I was growing up. My mother, you know, she, she, you know, she didn't whip me often, but boy, when she did, you know, I, I, mean, she, I mean, she, man, listen, I can't even talk about it. <laughs> but the, the, thing, the thing that burned my mother up was lying. She's going to go outside every time. And when she went outside, I knew what was coming back inside. You know, and I wanted to redirect her sometime. Mama, the belt is this way. You don't need to go to the tree. Go to the belt. But she wanted the tree limb. And she would wear my tail out. I'd have whips and all over. I wanted to call 911 so many times. But it was always on me. It was never her fault. It was because I chose to lie. And if I lied, my mother was going to get me. So you know what I started doing? Stop lying. And I promise you, it works. Just tell the truth. Then he says, lastly, don't covet your neighbor's wife or any of his possessions. Whatever your neighbor has, guess what? It belongs to him. It does not belong to you. Don't go over there. Don't be wishing that what he had, you know, you should have and, and, and you'd be willing to do something about that. Don't covet. Don't want something so hard that you're dreaming about it, thinking about it, and you want to do something about it. Just wait till God gives you yours. Because God will supply all of our needs according to his riches, kindness in Christ Jesus. That's a fact. So why is it important for men to take this initiative? Why is it important for men to teach our children those nine and later ten principles? Why is it important? Well, I've got three things. Uh, you might want to write these down, three quick things as to why it's important for men to take this initiative to teach our children. Number one is real heavy. Watch this, because God said so. We, we, you know, we do it because God said so. And, and, and you will never be an obedient person until you start practicing obedience. And if you have a trouble with obeying the word, you're going to have trouble all throughout your life. And so as men, fathers, your responsibility is to do these things because God says so. 
Any parents, any of y'all ever uh, grew up with parents that say, do it because I said so? You know, we do way too much explaining right now. You know, our kids are like, but why I got to do that? Boy, if you don't get your... Because I said so. That's why. You might want to edit that out. But we, we've got to get back to being just simple obedience. Be obedient to God because he said so. But then secondly, why is it important for men to take this initiative? Here's one. Because men become easily uninvolved or detached from family affairs. Men easily become uninvolved or detached from family affairs. Our mindset is, if I go to work nine to five, my wife can take care of the rest. The woman can do all the other stuff. But that's not what God has called for us to, as men to do. God wants us to be involved in the situation. And so when we get home to our children, we should run to our children. We should step inside of that door and find out what's going on in that house. Baby, how can I help you today? What needs to take place that, that you didn't get done today? And asking your children, hey, listen, how was your day today? Yeah, I know. Yeah, daddy, you're tired. Yeah, daddy is tired. But if you want to go outside and shoot a little hoops, that's fine. Let's do that. You have got to become involved in your children's lives. That is not your wife's responsibility. And you have to be purposeful and intentional about doing that. But then thirdly, and here's one that, that, that I learned a few years ago, we need to step up and take the initiative because men are naturally passive and we need to learn to lead. I'm going to say that again. Men are naturally passive and we need to learn to lead. You say, how do you figure that, Adam? Man, let me tell y'all, when, when, when they were in that garden and, and, and Adam and Eve were together, the Bible says, and, and Satan came in the form of that snake and he gave Eve that fruit. We don't know what fruit it was. He gave Eve that fruit and then the Bible says, and she ate and she gave to her husband who was with her. Okay, so in other words... It went from basically Satan's hands to her hands. You eat this, and then her husband's hands who were with her. Now you eat it. And what should have happened was, was when Satan approached her in the form of that serpent, and he, should have, and he came to her and said, listen, did God say that, that, that you shouldn't eat? From this tree, you know, God just trying to fake you out. He, he knows that you're going to be just like him. You know what Adam should have been saying? Baby, what color shoes you want? Because I'm going to take this snake and I'm going to make the best shoes that you could find. That should have been a nice purse. Nice set of shoes. Something. But that fruit never should have made it in Adam and Eve's mouths. But the reason why it did is because Adam gave her control of the situation. And she was controlled by her emotions. She wanted to be like God. There's nothing wrong with being like God, but you got to do it like how he says do it. 
And with her wanting to be like God, she bit into that fruit and he became passive and he should have just said, hey, listen, if you're going to do that, you, that's on you. I ain't doing that. In fact, give me that fruit. And stopped her from doing it himself. But because he became passive, guess what? Law of first mention. Too many of us have become passive in our homes. And we let way too much stuff get by without our approval or permission. I'm, still, I'm from that old school. I still believe that men should be the leaders of their homes. You can lead compassionately. You can lead lovingly, but you must lead. And you've got to take that initiative to lead. Listen, the next thing that I want you to write down, I only really have two, two good points and one, 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 one to take home. But the second thing, first, is, is, is that we as men, responsible men and fearless men must teach our children. But then secondly, we as men must reach our children. A fearless, responsible man reaches his children. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I want you to look at it in the KJV. This is a very familiar passage of, of Scripture. We need to take a fresh look at it. The Bible says that we are, as men, truly, women as well, but we are to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he won't what? Don't miss the first part. He says, we must train up the child in the way that he should go. I want to introduce y'all a family member of ours. His name is Cruz. Cruz is a Belgian Malinois. Cruz potentially has the ability to be one of the roughest dogs and toughest dogs that you can probably find on the market. He has the potential because of his bloodline. He is a pure breed Belgian Malinois. The police love this particular dog. The armies love this particular dog. When properly trained, this dog can search and rescue. This dog can protect you and will protect you from anything and anybody. This dog has the capability of finding drugs. This dog has the capability of finding and detecting bombs to keep you away from it. When properly trained, this dog has the capabilities to do all of that. My dog can't do any of it. <laughs> he is absolutely worthless. And, 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 and in fact, I call him a cat because that's, that's all he is. He wants to be rubbed, he wants to be fed, and he wants to go outside and play. That's it. And, and so, you know, Cruz has the capability to do these things, but he hasn't been properly trained. Guess what? That is not at all what God is talking about. He is not equating the kind of training that you would do with a dog as the same you would do with your child. Let me share something with you. That word train up is also bring up. Train up, bring up comes from the Greek word ektrepho, and it literally means to nurture. I don't nurture my dog. 
And in fact, when you say that word nurture, I bet some of the men have probably already tuned out. Because they say, you know, okay, I know you got to be talking about women now. Because women are the natural nurturers. But again, my brothers, the assignment has been given to you and to me. We are to train up or to bring up or to nurture our children in the way that they should go. Let me ask you a question, brothers. When was the last time you said, I love you to your child? Come on. When was the last time you called your grandchild or grandchildren and said, hey, listen, I just want you to know I love you? So, okay, so, so y'all don't think that that's necessary. Okay, fine, I'll prove it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Got two places to prove it, Matthew 3 and Mark 9. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And let's look and see what God has to say about the matter. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Here's what verse 13 says. I'm reading from the NIV. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This is John watching it. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. If God has the mind to nurture his own son and to tell his own son what he felt about him, what makes you think you can escape it? If we are to be an emulator of our Lord and Savior, if we are to do what God wants us to do, then we've got to act and say the very things that God said. Look, I promise you, he didn't miss a beat. He said three things. He said, number one, he said, out of all these people that you may be seeing getting baptized, all these folks that may have been coming up and out of the river, up and out of the Jordan, he said, this one is my son. He singles him out. This is my son. And then he hits him with another one. He says, in other verses, he says, in whom I am well pleased, whom I love. And he says, with him, I am well pleased. So he, he doesn't miss it. This is my son. I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. When was the last time you confirmed and affirmed your son something like that? When was the last time you told your daughter that I love you, sweetheart? You are my child, and with you, I am very well pleased. We make it a practice in our home to tell our children all the time, hey, I love you. I love you. And I know those are some words that are sometimes hard for men to say because, you know, it comes generationally. Your father didn't say it and now his father didn't say it. And now you don't want to say it either. But your children need to hear it. You are my child whom I love and with you I am well pleased. But then in Mark chapter nine, you don't have to turn there. In Mark nine, God does it again. 
Because when they were on that Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus was transfigured, you remember that Elijah and, Emo- and Moses were there with him. And Peter made the mistake of, of, of equating Jesus with, the, with those other two, with Moses and Elijah. And so Peter says, oh, it's good for us to be here. I'm going to make a monument and we're going to celebrate all three of you. And then as if everybody just disappeared, the Bible says that things were covered up and, and the light shined on Jesus. Jesus was pointed out and he said, no, 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 not Moses, not Elijah. This is my son. He says, hear ye him. This is my son. And so God points out his son. He points out his affections for his son. And you and I need to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a few things and we're going to get out of here. A nurturing father is an involved father. He makes time, not excuses. If you're going to be a nurturing father, you have got to make time for your children and not excuses. When was the last time you had lunch with your child? When was the last time you played ball outside with your child? When was the last recital you went to? When was the last rehearsal you went to? When was the last tea party you enjoyed with your daughter? I understand there's things that you wouldn't normally do, but she appreciates that. And you have got to nurture her like that. If you are going to be a transformational figure in your home, you, sir, must learn to listen to your children. Because your children have to have a way of expressing themselves respectfully to you. Because if they can't uh, express themselves to you, guess what? They're going to express themselves to somebody else. And you're not going to be happy with the end results of that. Here are a few things that every child needs to hear. These are some affirming words. You might want to jot these down. The first thing is that every child needs to know and hear, I am accepted. Every child needs to know and hear, I am accepted. But then secondly, every child needs to hear, I belong. I belong a part of this family. The next thing, affirmation that they need to hear is that I am secure. They need to hear, I'm competent. I can do this. They need to hear, I'm worthy. They need to hear, I'm loved. You as a father have the responsibility of affirming your children with all of those things. I'm accepted, I belong, I'm secured, I'm competent, I'm worthy, and I am loved. In my last little minute or two, we've got the ministers moving around, getting in position. In my last minute or two, I want to share this with you. The one thing that I left out, the commandment that I left out on the Ten Commandments was this one thing. Honor your father and your mother. I know I gave principles for the fathers, but I want to give you who are children, even grown children, this responsibility. You, sir must learn to honor your father and your mother. This thing is so important that it is mentioned three times in Scripture. Once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy, and then once in Ephesians. The Bible repeats itself three times. He says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Some of you need to forgive your parents for things that they have done to you. 
Joyce Meyer talked about a situation where she was literally abused by her own father, raped over 200 times by her dad. And she had to get to the place and point in her life where she could forgive her father. And it got down, he got down so ill that she literally moved him into her house and took care of him as if nothing ever happened. You know why? Because she chose to honor her mother and her father. Even if your parents have died and passed away, or even if you don't even know who they are, you're here as a result of them. And you look up to heaven and say, Lord, I may not know who my father is. I may not know who my mother was, but I thank God for her presence. I thank God for his presence. Mom, Dad, would you come down real quickly? These these are, are my parents. I, I learned so much from my parents. Um, you know, Mama, it, it, meant to, it meant the world to me to know that when I got home from school that you were there. You, you chose the harder job of being a homemaker instead of going to a nine-to-five like you could have. And so I, I thank God for you. I thank God that, that you uh, introduced me to tapes and CDs. And, you know, I listen right now to Charles Stanley and, And Chuck Swindoll and all the others, I listen to them today because you introduced them to me. I heard them growing up. Uh, you know, Dad, I saw you getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning, every morning, going in and out to work. And I saw you at 5 o'clock clocking out and coming home. And I knew that within 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you were going to be at home. You were always present and accounted for. Mama never worried, never had any doubt of whether or not you were coming home that day. And I come home to my wife and children because I saw it in you. And I thank you for that. And I just want to let everybody know, you know, th th these are my parents, and I want to honor them as they're still with me. I love you. I love you. Yeah. All right, Every head bowed, every eyes closed, please. <laughs>